Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you and enjoy. Good morning. Welcome to Mosaic. We are so excited that you have chosen to be with us this morning. We are in the middle of a series called 21 because we are taking 21 days at the beginning of this year to really focus in and ask God for direction in our lives. We are praying and fasting. And if you're tracking with us, if you're going, listen, we're halfway there. Actually, we only have one more week. We're like two-thirds of the way there. So we can do this. Hang in. And we love hearing your stories. We like to know the ways that God is showing up and speaking to you. So make sure you keep letting us know. Now, listen, I know some of you are like, uh, I don't have an answer yet. I don't have a story. It is okay. We are not finished. Oftentimes when we are in the middle, it is messy and we're still waiting, but we've got one more week. And so hang in there and let's see if we can have this week be a little bit different than the other two we've had so far. First, I have to tell you though, Peter and I watched a documentary on Netflix last weekend. And generally I am about 1% interested in watching documentaries. I like TV. I like Netflix because that is my chance to zone out. Do you know what I'm saying? But this one in particular, he wanted to watch The Eyes of Tammy Faye. And I was like, okay, thank you. I'm 0% interested in this one. I don't want to hear about church corruption. I don't want to hear any of this narrative. Like, I am out. No, thank you. But because I'm a, I'm a good wife, you know, I'm going to do what Peter wants. Let him pick the TV shows sometimes. So we did actually watch it. And I want to know before I tell you my thoughts on the documentary, what is the first thing you think of when you hear the name Tammy Faye? It's eyelashes, isn't it? <laughs> it is. You either think of her crazy makeup or just kind of the general vibe about her. When we hear the name Tammy Faye, we're like, ooh, she might be a little crazy. She might be a little out there. She was connected to Jim Baker, who was caught up in some church corruption, right? There were definitely some things that were happening there, but I was like, you know what? They were local. They were in Charlotte. This is probably a story I should know. And I have to tell you, as we got further and further along, at least this version, this Netflix side of the story, I have to tell you, my opinion of her started to change. And it looked as though maybe she actually did live her life just to love people, to love people for Jesus. And it got me thinking that maybe the crazy ones seem crazy because they have their eyes on Jesus in a way that some of us don't. Maybe they seem crazy because they have their eyes on Jesus in a way that some of us should. So we're going to take that idea and we're going to look at a story in the gospel. 
The story we're going to look at today is about a guy named Bartimaeus. He was a beggar in Jericho. And Jericho was a pretty wealthy city. It was a pretty rich city. It was also a hub for people that were traveling. Often people would cross through here when they were coming from other cities, a lot of times on their way to Jerusalem. And that is what's happening in this case. So it would not be uncommon for a beggar to be there on the side of the road in Jericho because beggars make their livelihood begging by asking people for food, asking people for money. So it makes sense that they would want to go to a place that's populated. Well, in the time of this particular story, there were even more people traveling through Jericho. There were a lot of people on the pilgrimage for the festival, which we now know is they were going to Jerusalem for Passover. On top of that, Jesus was at the height of his ministry right now. He and his disciples were traveling from town to town. He's doing miracles. He's performing healing. He's teaching in all of these different places. And it seems like every time he goes to a new town or a new city, the crowd that is following him grows. So this is where we are when we jump into Mark 10. We're going to start at verse 46. It says, Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, they're done, they're on their way out, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So we've got this guy, we've got this beggar, right? Sitting on the side of the road, crying out, just from the side of the road into the crowd, crying out into the midst of all of these people. And I think it's worth noticing that he calls him the son of David. Basically, this lets us know and this tells us that Bartimaeus acknowledged Jesus as the Lord. He'd never met him. There were no interactions yet. But from what he'd heard, the stories that he'd heard, he believed that this Jesus was the Messiah that people had been looking for and waiting for for years. Again, he had never met Jesus. He had never seen him. But somehow he had this crazy belief that this guy, if he could just meet him, would make his life better. And so he starts crying out, asking for kindness, asking for mercy, asking for healing, asking Jesus to intervene in his life. Doesn't this sound like what a lot of us are doing right now in the middle of this fast? We're fasting, we're giving things up, we're dedicating time to pray and ask God to be with us and say, hey, I have a need, I have a want, I have this thing and I need you to show up. Please show me mercy. Please bring your kindness into my life. Please show up and do something. And so as he's crying out, the people around him tell him to stop. They tell him to stop. Have you ever been out in public? Maybe you're at the grocery store, or you're at a Starbucks, maybe you're at church even, I don't know, and somebody around you starts to do something, and it embarrasses you, and you have literally nothing to do with it whatsoever, but just because of their proximity, you're like, uh, I'm embarrassed. I don't know what's happening. So you kind of maybe step, take a step back, right? You want to remove yourself from the situation just so everybody else around you knows you have nothing to do with what is going on over here. You have nothing to do with what is happening. The commotion and the shenanigans, they don't belong to you. That's not your circus. Those are not your monkeys. You know what I mean? 
I think that maybe some of these people who were trying to silence Bartimaeus were also waiting on Jesus. And maybe that was their thinking. That they were like, hey, 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 this is not the way to get him to come over here. Hey, this is not the way to approach Jesus. You are being all kinds of crazy, and Jesus is coming. We want him to come here. Don't you want him to come here? You need to get it together. You need to act right. You need to behave. Like what you're doing, he's never going to come over here in this. I wonder if some of the people were silencing him out of embarrassment. And then I think there were probably other people who are trying to silence him because they were embarrassed for him. Other people in the crowd, I'm just guessing, were like, hey, I know you have a problem, but I also know how to help you. I'm right here. This guy may or may not come. We don't know. He may or may not be something special. We don't know. We haven't met him. We haven't seen him. But I am right here, and I can tell you right now, here's a quick fix. Here's an answer. This is what you should do. Here's what worked for me. Don't you want to try it? It might be a pyramid scheme. It might not be. I don't know. I'm just saying. But I'm right here, and I can tell you now. Don't wait for this guy. Quiet, quiet. Let me help fix you. I think that we have people in our lives, possibly on both sides. But regardless of their motivation, Bartimaeus ignored all of the voices around him that were telling him what to do. And it says he cries out for Jesus all the more. I think if we're being honest with ourselves, can we be honest with ourselves? I know, it's hard. <laughs> if we can be honest with ourselves, I think a lot of us are guilty for, of crying out to God but then letting other people respond. We cry out to God. We take him our wants. We take him our needs. We take him our questions. We tell him when we, went, when we need healing. We say, hey, please come intervene. But then we don't leave space for him to show up. We listen to other voices that are there because they're louder or they responded sooner. Do you seek out his voice when you ask? Do you leave space for him to answer? Or do you go to a friend instead and talk to your friend? Do you go to a pastor and ask them to pray for you? Do you go to a therapist when you have a hurt, when you feel broken? Do you go to a counselor? Do you go to a mentor and ask them for direction in your life? None of these things are bad. These are all good people to have in your life, but are you going to them First, are you going to them instead of seeking God's voice? Let's make sure that we are leaving space for God to speak to us. Let's make sure we are leaving space to listen to his voice just as much, if not more, than we're listening to the voices of other people. Some of you might feel like Bartimaeus. You feel like you are on the side of the road right now. You haven't seen him yet. You haven't seen Jesus, you haven't met him, you've only heard stories, you've only heard people talk about him. Well, maybe it's time to get a little desperate. Maybe it's time to get a little crazy and to cry out to him. And it is okay if you feel like you're just yelling like a crazy person. Let's remember Bartimaeus was blind. We don't know what that looked like. He was probably like, Jesus! And people around him are like, yo, Jesus is over there. Like, you're not even yelling in the right direction. It's okay. You talk to God like you think you should talk to God. You talk to God in a way that feels normal and natural and right to you. He wants to hear 
from you directly. I was actually part of um, a small group this week, and (laughs) one of Brittany, who is on our worship team, prayed at the end. And if you have never heard Brittany pray, she's one of my favorite people to listen to. And she's like, yo, Jesus, what's up? So listen, is Jesus not going to listen to her prayer because it's not righteous and precious and holy? No, it is still righteous. It is still precious. It is still holy, but it sounds like Brittany and that makes it real. You talk to God. You cry out to Jesus in whatever way feels right. Cry out to him above all of the voices and see if he won't answer you the same way that he responds to Bartimaeus. Jesus stops. Bartimaeus is is calling out. He's crying out. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling to you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Bartimaeus knew this was his chance. Jesus was on his way out of Jericho. This was it. This was the moment. If he didn't take advantage, it was going to go by him, and he was not about to let that happen. So he throws off his cloak so that he could be ready to move. See, beggars were common, especially, like I said, in these bigger, more wealthy cities, and it was the beggar's cloak that identified him as such. It was his cloak that told people as they were passing through, hey, this guy is okay. This is his livelihood. This is how he eats and gets money. It was his cloak that identified him as a beggar, and what he did was he threw off his old life. He threw off what defined him, maybe all he'd known for his entire life because he believed that what was coming was better. Even though he couldn't see it, he believed that this Jesus that he had heard about was worth the risk of changing the very thing that defined him. He believed that this Jesus that he had only heard about was worth changing everything about his life. I think some of us need to throw off the things that we have let become our identity. The labels, the opinions, the harsh words that have been spoken to us that for whatever reason we just keep replaying over and over and over. The mistakes that we've made, the experiences that we're reacting out of, the experiences that we're, we're living out of, We say that we want to forget them, yet we keep bringing them up. We say we want to move past them, yet we still keep living our lives as though we're still in those situations. Some of us need to throw these off and stop letting them define us. And I think some of you know exactly what it is. As soon as I said it, that thing popped to your mind. The thing, the words, the behavior, the label, the mistake. You know what it is. You know that it's weighing you down. You even know that you are unhappy in it. You are unhappy in the mental state that it's got you in. You are unhappy in the position that you're in. But you have allowed yourself to become comfortable in it because you've been sitting in it for so long. You've been wearing and carrying these identifying things for so long that you justify keeping them on. Because you say, you know, I don't like it, but at least I'm comfortable. I don't like it, but it is what it is. I don't like it, but at least I know how to handle these kind of problems. I don't like it. I don't want to be this person, but it's easier than changing. 
How desperate are you for change? How desperate are you to live a new life? What do you need to throw off that is holding you down? Bartimaeus was desperate. He threw off his cloak, jumped to his feet, and walked toward Jesus. Actually, it doesn't say he walked toward Jesus. It says that he came toward Jesus. See, often when I read the Bible, I get so into it, and I'm just reading the story. I put myself in the story, and so I end up accidentally, like, missing key details. You know, I overlook things, like remembering that he's blind, okay? Bartimaeus probably did not jump up and walk a clear, direct, like, swaggery line to Jesus. He probably didn't have swagger. It was probably more like a stagger. He probably jumped up and went the wrong way. We don't know, right? All he knows is he's like, Jesus is here. They told me he wants me to come, th- to come there and see him, so I'm going to jump up and go. It was probably not graceful. It was probably not a clear, direct path. And I can just picture him staggering and bumping into people, trying to figure out where Jesus is so he can just get there, figuring out the way to get to him. I also think there's a very good chance that he had help. See, some of us think that we can make our way to Jesus on our own. And then we wonder why we're going in circles. We're trying to find Jesus and we feel like it should be easier and we can't figure out why our path is full of not only twists and turns and loops, but ups and downs. And it's because we're trying to do it on our own. And you can believe in God by yourself, but can you be a follower of Jesus by yourself? I don't think that you can. It's not actually even biblical. Jesus and the disciples were in a community. The apostles were in a community. The early church, everybody that came after was in a community. They all lived their lives in the context of a community. Even when they went to new cities to plant new churches, they did not go alone. They were there for each other. They relied on each other. They helped each other. They encouraged and challenged each other. Yes, there are going to be people in the crowd. There are going to be people in your life that tell you to be quiet. Those people are going to be there. But there are also going to be people in your life who want to help you, who say, hey, it's this way. There are going to be people who, when you can't see Jesus moving in your life, will tell you exactly like they did. He's calling you. Hey, Jesus is calling you. Get up and go to him. Your healing will be personal, but getting there requires other people. So if you're trying to find your own way to Jesus, that's actually what we're here for. That's what this community is all about. And we may not have all the answers, and our walk to Jesus may not be perfect, but we are here and we want to walk with you. We want to point you in the right direction and walk with you until you reach him. And let me say, too, that needing people to walk with you and to walk alongside you is not just for new believers. It's not just for people who have never met Jesus before. Personally, I can't remember a day in my life that I didn't have God in it. I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember. But I still need people in my life who say, hey, Jesus is calling you, but you're going the wrong way. He's over there. You're going the wrong direction. Let me steer you back this way. All of us need people 
to walk with us. And some of us need to be those people in the crowd. We need to be those people who can help others. If you can see pretty clearly, if you're, if you're on a good path right now, and you feel like you can get to Jesus and you know the way, are you opening your eyes? Are you seeing the people on the side of the road? Are you seeing the people who are walking in circles, who are lost, who seem to be in the darkness, who can't find their way? They're stumbling and they need help and they're crying out to Jesus. Do you see them? Do you have margin in your life? Do you have time? Do you have space to help them? The people who are just a little bit off track, who are you coming alongside to walk with? So we keep going. Bartimaeus gets there. He gets to Jesus, this intervention that he's been desperate for. He finally gets to him, and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man says, Rabbi, teacher, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he receives his sight and followed Jesus along the road. See, Bartimaeus didn't know what to expect, but something within him knew that if he could just get to Jesus, if he could just keep going, his life would be better than the one that he'd been living. So he persisted until it happened. He persisted until Jesus gave him what he needed. If you're tracking with us and you're, you're coming along in this fast, or even if you're not, maybe this is your first time watching, maybe you knew about the fast, but you forgot or you weren't sure how to do it. If you have ever been in the middle, if you have ever been between putting out a prayer and receiving an answer, ask yourself the question, have I persisted? Are you really going after it? Does it feel like you're stretching yourself? Are you making time daily to hear from God, to be quiet and seek out his voice? Are you stretching yourself and challenging yourself outside of your comfort zone? Or does this just kind of feel like any other January when after the holidays, we already just want to change our eating and eat a little bit better? Does it feel like any other January where because we're supposed to have new resolutions and goals because it's a new year and a new calendar, there are already things that we should be changing in our routines? Is this any different? Because it should be. It should be. Are we desperate enough to keep going until we get what we need. There are actually only a few places in scripture where Jesus says, your faith has healed you, like he just said to Bartimaeus. And it's always to lower class citizens, which I think is very interesting. And it's often in the midst of people who would not approve at all with the behavior that's happening. So I'm not gonna read you the stories, but I'll tell you where they are if you wanna go look them up. In Luke 17, Jesus heals 10 Samaritan lepers, people that he should not be associating with definitely should not be touching. And Mark 5, he heals a woman with a blood issue who he doesn't even actually know it's happening until it happens, but she comes up and she touches the hem of his cloak and instantly she is healed. And Luke 7, a sinful woman, aren't we all? A sinful woman <laughs> wipes Jesus' feet with her tears and perfume in front of Pharisees who are like disgusted that Jesus would allow it to happen. All of these people, including Bartimaeus, were persistent. They moved toward Jesus because they were desperate, not only in their need, 
but in believing that he cared about every single detail of their lives, that their need and their hurt was important enough that they could take it to him. It was their desperation that led to their healing. It was their persistence that Jesus called faith. It was their persistence that Jesus called faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith is the move you make toward God when hope won't let you quit. Faith is the action of our hopes and beliefs. And I think a lot of times we tend to get faith wrong. We think that faith is this like precious thing that you get when you decide to follow Jesus, that you get when you decide to be a Christian and it just kind of floats in your spirit or it just kind of like floats in your general vicinity around you. And sometimes that's all that faith is. But I think oftentimes, and if we practice it, if we stay consistent and persistent, faith can be actually really pretty tough and it's strong and it's resilient and it's gritty. There's actually a science to faith. There's actually a science to grit, but I think they're kind of the same thing, and I want to explain to you why. There is a lady named Angela Duckworth, and she is a science and math teacher turned researcher, and she has basically dedicated all of her research, all of her time to this idea of grit. What does it mean? Who has it? And can we further our grittiness, I guess, if we don't feel like we've got it right now? So she defines this as the tendency to sustain interest in and effort toward very long-term goals. Or, I like this definition a little bit better, it's a combination of passion and perseverance for what you're doing over the long term. So in her research, she's got four stages of grit. And as I was reading them, I just saw so clearly how this can apply to our faith. Hopefully, Angela, you don't mind <laughs> that I'm putting a little faith spin on your four stages of grit here, but here's what they are. The first one she calls the romance stage. And basically this is an interest. So when it comes to our faith, this is when we begin to fall in love with God. This is when we begin to decide that we want to have faith, that this is something that's important to us, that we are going to pursue. Maybe you visited Mosaic and you showed up here or you watched online and there was just something about it that you liked. Maybe it was the worship, maybe it was the teaching, maybe it was the people, maybe it was just the energy and the vibe or the culture. But you decided that you liked it and you wanted more and so that you were going to keep on coming. Maybe you even decided that we were going to be your church, that Mosaic was going to be your home and you're going to come on Sundays and you're going to let us tell you what the Bible says and you're going to let us tell you what God thinks and you're going to let us pray for you. Maybe you actually feel something that you think is God, you think is his presence within your spirit when you're here on Sundays, but it stays here. See, that's what I think this romantic faith looks like. To me, it looks like optimism, almost a blind belief of just believing what someone tells you you should. This is a faith that says, I believe in God. I believe that he's a good guy, and I want him to love me like the worship songs say he does, and I want him to love me like the pastors tell me that he does. That's stage one. Then we go to stage two. Stage two of grit or faith is precision. This is when we start to practice and live out our faith with intention. I think a lot of us are here. At this point, you start to get involved. Maybe you join a small group or you listen online if you, were, if you missed 
a Sunday. Maybe even outside of Sunday, you start to read books or do a Bible study. You'll pick up a devotion. Maybe even download that Bible app that people say is so easy to use. Maybe you start to follow other pastors, listen to other messages. This is a faith to me that looks like religion. It's a simple religion of doing the right things and saying the right things. It says, I will do what God says because I want to make him happy, right? I'm going to say the right things and do the right things. I want to do what a Christian does. I want to say what a Christian says. And so this is the kind of faith that we have in stage two. Then we move to stage three, which is integration. This is where we combine all of those practices that are not bad. We take these Christian practices, but we connect them to a greater sense of purpose. People that are in this stage have realized that they're not actually coming to church for them, that the church is not here for them, but that they are actually church for the world. These are people whose faith allows them to see that it's bigger than them. I think a lot of us actually are in this stage too. When we get here, we change our focus from what a Christian says or does to try to figure out how to be a Christian, how to internalize it and be the church, be a Christian in the world. Not so that people look at us and put that label on us. Not so that people look at us and say, oh, she must be, oh, he must be, and let us wear that title, but to figure out what it actually looks like. Maybe at this point in a church, you start volunteering because you know that there are needs. There are needs. <laughs> you know that there are needs, and so you volunteer to help out other people. Maybe you start to use your voice on social media. Maybe you start to speak up at work or in your social circles. You're aware of the people around you, and you want to integrate your life with theirs because you understand that we're all connected in this bigger story. See, I think in order to enter this phase, the difference is that we have to add a layer of humility and self-awareness. Anybody that wants to move into this stage has to be willing to get feedback, has to be willing to ask themselves the questions, why am I doing this? Why am I saying this? Why am I reacting this way? Why am I behaving this way? We have to be able to address our weaknesses within the context of a community that wants to challenge us and grow us and build us up because we know that it's not just about us and that our lives influence the lives and they impact the lives of other people around us. So we actually wanna grow, we wanna change. We're okay with the pruning because we understand that even when it hurts, it's just going to make us better on the other side. It only helps us to look more like Jesus. See, this faith is a faith that lives a life trying to reflect him. This faith says, I believe I can make the world a better place by introducing people to Jesus because I've experienced it and I know that it's true, but I also know that he didn't come just for me. And I also know that none of this is just about me. It's so much bigger than I am. The final stage of grit or faith is resilience. And this is where your faith becomes a mindset. It's an internal belief that cannot be shaken no matter what comes your way, no matter what comes or does not come, whatever obstacles are there or blessings are not. It's an internal belief. So maybe if you're in this stage, you go to church, keep coming to church, you go to church, you listen to your pastors, you read books, you're doing all of the things, but you also ask questions. 
And if something doesn't sit right with you, you can push back on it because you know it's okay. You know that it's actually healthy to ask yourself, again, in self-awareness, why do I believe what I believe? Why do I think this? Who told me? Have I researched it myself? When you get to this place, you can choose what you agree with because you know what you believe. You know what God's voice sounds like because you've spent time seeking it out. You've spent time asking questions and reading for yourself and doing the research. You've done the work. So you know what aligns to God's heart and God's character. I hope I don't make it sound like you'll know all the answers because I truly don't think anybody will on this side of heaven. God is much more of a mystery than I realize, and I <laughs> realize that more and more. The more I try to get to know him, the more I realize there is stuff that we never will and never were intended to. But this kind of faith is okay with that. This kind of faith is something that sometimes you can't even name, you can't even explain to people, but you just feel it. This kind of faith says, I choose to believe that God is bigger and God is better than whatever I can fully understand. God is better than whatever I can see. God is better and bigger than what I can explain. This faith, this gritty faith, puts action to your belief and your hopes. This faith takes all of the voices and all of the noise of the world, everything that's loud and everything that's urgent, everything that's trying to control you and tell you what to do and fix you, everything that's pointing to what's broken, all of the voices that tell you not to bother trying because it's not gonna work, you've tried before. This faith says, what if there's another option? What if everything you've believed, what if everything you've been living out of, what if there's another option? Are you desperate enough to blindly walk toward Jesus? Do you have a gritty enough faith to keep persisting even if? Now, before the voice in your head tells you no, let me remind you that you are here right now. You are here and there is a reason that you are watching this. There is a reason that you keep coming back to God. There is a reason that even though you're mad or confused or you don't know what you believe or you don't even think you believe anything anymore, that you keep coming back. Something keeps bringing you back to him. Isaiah 35 is one of my favorite passages when life is hard. And it's verses three and four. It says, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. If that's you, your faith is more resilient than you think it is. You are still here. You have not given up. If you have tired hands, it's because you have not stopped fighting for your life. You have not stopped fighting for your faith. You have not stopped fighting for your relationship with this God that you don't understand, but for whatever reason you can't let go of. That's why you have tired hands. If you have weak knees, it's because you've either hit them in prayer over and over and over again, or it's because your faith is keeping you crawling forward 
And maybe you can't walk toward Jesus. Maybe you can't even get up right now, but you're still going forward and you're crawling and you've crawled over every obstacle that life has thrown in your way. And it's been hard and you're scraped up and bleeding, but you're still moving forward because you have a gritty, resilient faith. If you have a fearful, tender heart, it's because you have experienced a broken world. You have seen hurt and you have seen pain and you have allowed yourself to feel it. And you keep going. Something in you still trusts God to show up and let yourself see other people. That is the faith within you that knows that God is coming. That is the faith within you that lets you keep going, that makes you keep going and doesn't give you any other option. You have a gritty faith. That's why faith is gritty. If it was shiny and smooth, if it was this beautiful little thing, it would not be easy to hold on to. We would slip right off. Our grip would be totally lost. But it's gritty. It's easier for you to hold on to. And when you feel like you can't, it still holds on to you. God is coming to save you, and he has already come once. God looked down, and he saw broken, desperate, a little bit crazy people with tired hands and weak knees and fearful hearts. And he said, you don't have to be strong because I am and you can rely on me. You don't have to do this by yourself because I am with you and I'm gonna send people to walk alongside you. But even if you can't find them, even if maybe you've moved and you can't find your community and you don't know who your people are, I will never leave you and I will always be there and I will always be walking with you. And I'm sending you my spirit so that you know that it's true. If you feel desperate, you are in the perfectly exact right place for God to save you. So where are you in this story? I think we have a couple of options. Are you Bartimaeus? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel overlooked? Do you feel off to the side of everybody else? Do you feel in the dark and you can't see which way is up and you can't see which way to go? If that's you, seek out his voice. Throw off whatever it is that has been identifying you for so long. Throw off whatever it is that's been holding you down. And don't let anything stop you until you get to Jesus. Who cares if people think you're crazy? Who cares if people think you're desperate or you're trying too hard? That's not what God thinks. He will call your persistence faith. And don't try to find him alone. Let people in. Let people walk alongside you. Again, that's why we're here. Be brave and reach out. Put a comment in the chat. Send us an email. Reach out to us on social media. We want to walk alongside you. We want to help point you in the right direction. And if you're not Bartimaeus, if you're someone in the crowd, join us. Help us to see the people who are. Help us to find the people who are wandering around lost. And let's be the encouragement to them that says, do not fear. God is coming to save you. And I will walk alongside you 
until he does. Let me pray that for us. God, I thank you so much, Lord, that you do hear us. God, I thank you that you never look at us and see anything but beautiful children that you created. God, you look at us and you see yourself. You look at us no differently than you would look at Jesus, God, and it blows my mind. But you look at us and that's what you see. You don't see the things that people put on us. God, and so I pray for the people that need to see themselves the way that you see them, that need to see themselves as the creation, as the reflection of you that you made them to be. God, help them to be brave and to throw off whatever it is that's hindering them. God, I pray that they would become desperate, that they would be so desperate that even the pain of change, even the pain of the unknown, the fear of the unknown, God, would be better than the situation that they're stuck in, would be better than the person that they're stuck in, the person that they don't even know how they became, but they don't want to be it anymore. And God, I pray for courage. I pray we would rely on your strength to be persistent and to go after you, to chase after you, God, crying out in the crowds, doing whatever it takes until we reach you because you will never leave us. You will never leave before we get there. You won't see us coming halfway and decide we're taking too long. God, help us to remember that your ways are so different than ours, that you don't behave like the other people in our lives, that you don't treat us like the other people in our lives, that you don't think about us or see us the way other people in our lives do. God, help us to focus. Help us to come to you for direction. Help us to know your heart and God to believe you when you tell us who you are and who we are. I pray for a gritty, gritty faith. In your name we pray. Amen.